Good morning, church. Just a, a, a quick uh, moment of spiritual housekeeping. Um, now that our uh, more chairs in, uh, we're going to ask you if you notice visitors coming in, and you know what happens, right? Visitors come in and they scramble looking for a place to sit, and they want to sit together as a family. They don't know where to sit, and sometimes they become frustrated and they leave. So if you notice visitors coming in um, and they're looking for a place to sit, help them find a place to sit. And that's our Christian duty, right? Praise God for that. It is great to see you here this morning, both members and visitors alike. We praise God for your attendance. We thank you for your gift of love. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Our great and righteous Heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and amazing name. We give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. And we thank you. Oh God, as we look into your word, we are just mesmerized at the number of mysteries that are there. Things, Lord God, that you've revealed that weren't revealed. And things, Lord God, even to this day that maybe we are missing. Help us to continue to live in faith and study that we might grow in our wisdom and knowledge and understanding in our faith in you. Please open our hearts, open our minds to understanding. I pray at this time, Lord God, that you'll help us to keep our minds focused on Jesus, your great son, in whom you so willingly sent to die on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary. Help our minds to be rid of worldly thought. We might think only of you and focus only on your will. As we worship you this morning, I pray our worship will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight and has thus far been. These things we ask and pray and thank you for in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ to be thy will. Amen. We're going to Luke chapter 24. Let's look at some Old Testament passages that, um, that speak of Jesus. And we'll, we'll begin with the, the most common, if you will, and then we'll move on to maybe some other ones that maybe you haven't thought of, or maybe it just refreshes your uh, memory of things that you already know. But the Bible has a lot to say, everything to say about Jesus, right? In Luke 24 and verse 44, Jesus says, now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So let's take a look at Jesus being revealed, and let's look at what they said about him. Genesis chapter 1. The Holy Spirit reveals to us, as it revealed to Moses, that Jesus, we read this last week, and I want to read it again. In verse 1, was involved in the, the creation Verse 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We read, it says, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the surface of the deep. We go to verse 26. And then God said, let us. And so when you go back into the Hebrew, you, you realize it's Elohim. And you realize that Elohim speaks of a, of a Godhead. A Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through a deeper Study And so you recognize that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father are part of the creation. And then God said, let us make man in our image, 
according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then John chapter 1 gives us that connection. In John 1, beginning at verse 1, he connects what, what God was speaking of without going into the Greek, or the Hebrew rather. He tells us that in the beginning, he goes right back to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Got it, Lord. He was in the beginning. With God. All things came into being by Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So He gives us the, the greater picture that there's this God head that in, in Genesis you don't quite understand. But John reveals more information as we read and start connecting the dots. We'll see the Godhead being revealed over and over again. But greater than that, what we're looking at is Jesus. Jesus. Go back, if you will, to Genesis chapter 18. So here's what happens. So John uses the Greek equivalent to Elohim, and he uses the theos, or theos. And when he says theos, it's the supreme deity, the supreme God. So what is the supreme deity or the supreme God doing in regards to humanity? What has he done? Well, in the beginning, he was there. In Genesis chapter 18, Jesus has appeared on the earth on multiple occasions, right? In different ways. In Genesis 18, beginning in verse 1, Now the Lord, that's Jehovah, appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, speaking of Abraham, while he was sitting at the tent door in the, the heat of the day. Jehovah showed up and he appeared to Abraham. And then verse 17, Jesus again, and the Lord, Jehovah, said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Says Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men, two angels, turned away from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham was still standing before Jehovah. Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He said, well, yeah, I know that, preacher. I know you, you've studied that. I, I get that. And just, just to remind us that we're talking Jesus standing with Abraham and, and the word that's used regarding the Lord or Jesus is Jehovah and, and the name Jehovah, the self-existent one, speaks to Moses at the burning bush. Spoke 
to Abraham, stood in his presence and in his midst. Genesis chapter 3. No one can see the Father and live. Someone says, well, how do you, that's how you understand and you rectify some of this. We understand no one can see the Father and live. And so therefore, to know we're not contradicting, you know, Scripture, then if no one can see the Father and live, then who Jehovah was there? Speaking of Abraham, was Jesus, the Messiah. A while ago, I brought a, a lesson in showing Jesus in many different ways. And, and I made a statement that we'll make again this morning. Because Jesus said, unless you believe that I'm he, you will die in your sins. We, we have to get to know who he is. And if we get God right in our minds, everything else will take care of itself, right? Once we learn uh, that amazing respect for God for Jehovah, for who He is. Everything else falls into place. So the seed of the woman, without the involvement of man, right after the sin, in Genesis 3 and verse 15, again it speaks of Jesus. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And that pronoun, he, referring to the seed, refers to the Messiah, the seed of woman without the aid of man. Isaiah chapter 7, please, in verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And so the Scriptures talks about this seed. It goes through this seed, goes through this bloodline it it produces or brings to us Jesus the Messiah Isaiah 7 in verse 14 by the way I want you to know this morning because you need to know this I opened up a new Bible so, so I might have some pages sticking together Isaiah 7 in verse 14 therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name. What is that? God with us. Emmanuel, right? So then we go into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, and we, we get the understanding that when, when, when Joseph is, is speaking to his wife, or she who is betrothed to be his wife, they find that she is with Seed. She's pregnant. And in verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. That's important, right? Because we're talking about the, the, the birth of a child without the seed of a man. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And then Luke talks about he who was hovering over the surface of the deep. The Holy Spirit. Luke chapter, uh, chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1, he speaks of the, uh, if you will, the birth of Jesus Christ. And he speaks of the prophecy that would come. In verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. 
and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. All right. Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. Shiloh. Shiloh will come. Shiloh, the Messiah. Jesus. Jehovah, the self-existent one, will come. And he came. And we are blessed because of his coming. Shiloh will bring salvation to the world. Jesus, the Messiah, is referred in the book of Genesis... And revealed to us in in types and and significant situations, direct utterances and symbols. And we've been studying that on Wednesday night, right? So here's Shiloh, verse 9 of Genesis 49. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion and as a lion who dares rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And so, from the tribe of Judah, Shiloh is the one who brings peace and is in direct reference to the Messiah. Jehovah will come, and he will bring peace. And when you read the Pentateuch, there are, there are six Pentateuch um, titles, if you will, that are given to Jehovah. So when you're reading through the Pentateuch and you see and you follow the line, if you will, that God gives to us, and you see the word seed or, or Shiloh or the scepter or shepherd or stone or star, you know you're referring to Jesus, the Messiah. Stay in the context, though. Right? As you stay in the context, it's the Messiah who will come. In Genesis 49 and verse 24, the Bible says, But his bow remained firm, and his arms were agile. From the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, the Messiah, Jehovah, God. The shepherd, the stone. Let's follow that that stone over in the Exodus, if you will. Uh, turn over to Exodus chapter 17. 
Well, we're getting, uh, you know, we're talking about the types, and, I, and we're talking about the, and, and by the way, I'm not going to go into that. You, you go back and you review Wednesday class, if, that's why Wednesday class is important, right? It ties in so often with the sermons that are being brought. The types and the antitypes and the symbols and, and significant events that happen throughout the scriptures. Exodus 17 and verse 6. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. And water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now at, at, at Meribah, Moses did not treat God as holy in regards to the rock. We'll find that over in just a moment in the New Testament. But I want to go to Isaiah chapter 44. We're talking about this amazing stone, this, this boulder, this immovable, impenetrable stone, this rock. And who is that rock? The Messiah. Jesus. Christ. Our Lord. And our Savior. And the question came up in Isaiah 44. And the verse is 8. And here it reads. It says. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you, declared it, and you are my witnesses? Is there any God besides me? Or is there any rock? I know of none. And that rock is Jehovah, the Messiah. There is no other. Jesus, Matthew 16 Jesus refers to himself as that rock. In Matthew 16 and verse 18, he's talking to Peter. And Peter says uh, that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed art thou, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say unto you, verse 18, I also say unto you that you are Peter. And upon this rock will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. And so, the Petra, the rock, the boulder, the large boulder, the stone, the foundation, everything. That is Jesus. That confession of who He is. Not the Petros. That's the little teeny pebble. That's Peter. Right? It's not referring to Peter. It's referring to Jehovah. Now, now, in the book of, we're going to go back to Exodus. Go back to Exodus chapter 20. And, and, no, in fact, excuse me. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to skip that one. I don't want to do that. Verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Again, the connection. And all drank from the spiritual, same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ, right? So we're going to connect that. We've got to have that in there. So here God is, is showing us from Genesis to Revelation. And by the way, we're going to do this for every book of the Old Testament. Genesis to Revelation, you get to see Jesus, the Messiah, Jehovah revealed to us over and over and over and over again. Now go back to Exodus chapter 20, please. Exodus chapter 20, and we'll begin uh, around verse uh, 18. So in the book of Exodus... Jesus is revealed to us as the, the, the true bread, the living water, the true tabernacle, the perfect, 
the, the, the Holy One uh, and the only mediator between man and God. Now, Exodus 20 and verse 18. And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us lest we die. They wanted Moses to be the mediator. That's fine. But there's only one mediator. We find that in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. There's only one mediator between man and God. Moses served as a mediator. And thank God for Moses being able to be there for the people. But there's only one true mediator between man and God. So we get to see the full picture. Right? We get to see it all. First Timothy 2 and verse uh, 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. There's only but one. And then you know what we did this morning, right? Exodus, please, chapter 12. This morning we assembled together for a single purpose. A single purpose in which we are assembled together to worship God. That single purpose was for the Lord's Supper. Everything else surrounds it, right? To do this in remembrance of me. And we've come together to worship our God. And who is our God? The Lamb, right? The Passover Lamb. I told you we're going to start with all this familiar stuff and then we'll move on to some difficult things later. The Passover Lamb. Verse 11. Now you shall eat of it in this manner. With your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You, you do recognize that, you know, when someone says, well, let's argue the unleavened bread. You know the whole point of that. It doesn't have time to rise because God's coming back. But brother, in one day he's coming back and it's going to be in an hour in which we don't expect him to. See, the idea here was to understand that Jesus is coming back. But in their case, in in this particular uh, uh, section of the Bible, they were going to leave Egypt, Egyptian bondage. Verse 12, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Well, that was then, right? Don't you want God to pass over you now? Better hope so. You want God to pass over our sins now, church. And the only way that's going to happen is through Jesus, right? Let's get there in a second. Verse 14. Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You ought to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Now, to the New Testament, Romans chapter 3, please. Romans chapter 3. We want Jesus to pass over us. 
But there's, there's, no, there's no prayer that you're going to say, and, and there, there's no, no mystical thing that you're going to do. No, he's going to tell us how to do that. He's going to tell us that it only comes through baptism and repentance and confession. He makes it simple for us because we're simple people. And we need God to break things down for us in a simple way. And in Romans 3, in verse 23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How are we going to get rid of our sins, church? We've got to tell the world. We have to tell the world how to have Jesus pass over our sins. In verse 24, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. God passes over sin, but He doesn't do it without Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Jesus is our Passover lamb. So when you read the Old Testament, this is the reason why we don't want to say, well, look at the Old Testament stories. They're not stories. Like, I mean, you, we might call them, but really, they're accounts. They're historical accounts of God's dealings with mankind. If we make it a story, it's like Mary had a little lamb. We don't want to make it a story. We don't want to read a book about Dr. Seuss. That's a, we don't want to read a story. We want the historical accounts of God's dealings with man. Jesus is all over this. From the old into the new. Jesus, our Passover lamb, the Messiah. Let's go back to Genesis again. Chapter 6. We'll close, with, we'll close in, this, in this line of thought, if you will. Genesis chapter 6. What happened to the world? The world as it was, and you know, the world of science looks at this, and talk about all this water, and you got fossils up on top of the mountains, and how'd you get the fossils, the fish fossils on top of the mountain? Dinosaurs, and how'd all that stuff get there? Well, they didn't walk up there, and the fish didn't swim up there. There was a flood. It was a great and terrible flood. And why? Why, God, was there a flood? Because mankind was so ruthlessly evil and wicked that God could stand it no more. And so, He destroyed all those who refused to obey and enter into the ark that is called Noah's ark. In Genesis 6, in verse 5, And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I've made them. And when we tell our kids, we talk to them as they grow in maturity. Turn to Matthew 24. As they grow in maturity, teach them the rest of the story, as we call it. 
the rest of the account, the historical account of man's dealing or God's dealings with man. Let him, let him learn to grow out of the, the, you know, the giraffe with his head outside of the window and let him grow past that to see, see what God was really trying to tell us and to teach us and why God did what he did. Because it brings us right back to the Messiah. The Messiah has something to say about that account. And it's not a pretty picture. The problem with humanity is we're not very good historians. Because if you just go back and read the Bible time and time again, we're studying the kings now, and Daily has said it a few times, you know, one king is evil, and then the next king is evil, and the next king is evil, and the next king. And they see, okay, don't, don't do that. No, they just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And you know what's funny? We do the same thing over and over and over, and God's getting tired of it. And Jesus said, okay, now I want you to remember something. Some thousands of years ago, I sent a flood and I destroyed humanity because of their evil and their wickedness. And God unapologetically will do it again. But it's not going to be water this time, right? But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24 in verse uh, 37. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not understand. And the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Church, this is serious. This isn't a story. Stories end and they all live happily ever after. This isn't a story. This is for real. Jesus refers backwards to Noah. I want to go to 2 Peter, please, chapter 3. People, many people, most people are going to die lost. That's sad. Because no one has to. And in the days of Noah, those, those hundred something years of Noah constructing the ark, and, and, and his message was the same. <laughs> Get in the ark. Right? I mean, it was a simple message, but people, people didn't listen. And when people don't listen, when they refuse to listen to God or, or become angry at God, like some folks are angry at God because of the, the flood and that God destroyed the world and, you know, God really doesn't care about how we feel about Him and His decisions, right? We know that. It's about God. And He's about to do it again. And He's being patient. But one day, yesterday we had a wedding. God didn't come back. But we're going to be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And then one day, it's going to all end. And you know what happens to us? We become complacent. Like, you know, he hasn't come yet. He's not really going to come, is he? And so then we repeat the sins of old. And God's not happy. 
Remember the old generation would say, the older generation would say, well, I know these are the signs of the times because look at these kids, the way they're living their lives now. Right? And then that generation grew up and said, I know this is a sign of the times because look at the way these kids are. Right? And then eventually we stopped believing it. God says, uh, I'm not giving you a sign. I'm just going to come. Verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people are you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed with burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. This is it. It's going to be all over. You can't praise your kids. We can't praise our kids. We can't praise our parents. We need to praise the Lord. We, we need to lift God up and say, Church, we've got to obey God because He's coming back. Am I ready? Are my children ready to meet the Messiah? That's a great question. Am I ready to meet the Messiah? So here's a sermon, real, real short sermon. Real short. Noah's sermon was get into the ark. I mean, you know, I know it doesn't say that, but just imagine, right? His sermon was short and sweet. Get into the ark because God is going to destroy the world with the waters of flood water. Short sermon for you. Get into Christ because God's going to destroy this world and everything in it with fire. You might ask, well, how do we get into Christ? Well, you have to hear his word, right? I mean, obviously, you've got to hear about Jesus, and then you have to make a decision whether you're going to believe it or not, so you believe it. Oh, yeah, I believe that. Now, now that you believe it, what are you going to do about it? Right? That's called repentance. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn my life around. I no longer want to live the way I used to live. Well, all right, if you're going to do that, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Of course I believe Jesus is the Son of God. They go, great. All of that brings you to the ark. But you've got to get into the ark to be saved. Right? Because many folks came to the ark when it began to rain. Lots of folks came to the ark, but they weren't allowed to get into the ark because the doors were shut. Don't let the doors close on us, brethren. When our lights go out, when we leave this earth, we'll close. First Peter chapter 3. How do you get into the ark? Well, how do we get into Christ Jesus? How do we become a member of the church? How can we be saved? He goes right back to the flood and says, let me show you how to do it. It's the same way they did it. Because they are a figure. Verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. And corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, how easy is it? 
Come today and surrender your life to Jesus. Be baptized into Christ that the old man, the man of sin, might die and the new man might be resurrected, raised with Jesus, and you are in Jesus. You are in Jesus. The lesson's yours. Thank you for your time this morning. God bless you. If we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.